You're listening to Getting It Wrong to Get It Right. Are you struggling to grow your business? Book a free business growth consultation with Joe today. In this consultation, you'll receive professional advice, step-by-step guidance that will help you achieve success, best practices and tips for improving profits. Clicking on the link in the description or contacting us directly. Bill Potter, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well. Thank you, Joe, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. All the way from Texas. Yes. Bill, I would describe you as an entrepreneur, a business owner, a strategist, a futurist, someone who can see beyond the hill when it comes to developing or growing a business. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show today was for you to share some of your expertise, knowledge, and wisdom with our audience, because you and me know we have both been in business for decades, and we can see what other people can see. We know that there's red flags in a business, and we know what can make a business work and what can make a business turn into failure. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with ourselves. But first, I want to ask you, where did it all start for you? I worked on Wall Street. Then I went to work for an investment advisor. And one of my jobs as in the investment advisor was interviewing companies that we were planning on investing in. And my focus was what their growth strategy was over the next five years and how they were going to accomplish it. From that, I developed a mindset of when entrepreneurs start companies, they really need to start with the end in mind because that's what we were investing in as an investment advisor. And so what I found was that most companies were looking you know, for a combination of organic growth and acquired growth. And the acquired growth had very strategic aspects to it, but it also had some very fundamental financial components to it. So completely understanding that I started seeing this pattern between all these companies that were trying to create some level of dominance in the verticals that they were growing into, they had very specific parameters that they were looking for. So as I as I saw that, as I transitioned from the corporate world into the entrepreneurial world, my first company was an advisor advising small companies toward hyper growth strategy with the intent to exit. And I found that a lot of entrepreneurs started a company because they were good at something and they simply thought that you know one client at a time little incremental revenue at a time was their definition of success where my perspective based on my early career was you start with the end in mind the the consumer while it's your customer is where your revenue comes from your ultimate customer is the buyer of your company so if you want to maximize the valuation, you start with that end in mind and saying, okay, my real customer is the company that's going to acquire me. And, you know, typically what we do now is look at industries that are paying the highest multiples, understanding specifically what they're looking for. So we'll go out and find entrepreneurs that fit that mold, or we'll start a company that follows that path. But we have that guiding North Star of what we need to build and how we need to build it and what those parameters are. So when you have that, it accelerates your focus and your growth toward that strategy. And then, you know, the fundamentals of business, which most tech-led founders are excellent at doing is they have a concept because they see 
a gap, a need in the industry. They're very adept at building a great solution, assembling a great team, and keeping their clients very happy. But they may not be good at a number of key drivers for success. What we see typically among tech-led founders that get stagnated is talent acquisition, sales, marketing, because they came from a technical background, and those are areas that may not be their immediate focus. So every company will hit a level of stagnation. And if it's not, they don't partner with the right people, they get stuck at that level. And it's very frustrating. Oftentimes they just turn their business into a lifestyle business where if they look at how to progress a company exponentially and achieve those targets that those ultimate buyers of the company are looking for, they, they are going to, they're going to have a very successful exit. It's interesting because, you know, there's two questions I always ask people when I'm standing up in front of an audience. The one, the first question is, what problem do you solve? And the second question I ask, what would you do if you run it, ran out of money? <laughs> and, you know, the, the second one is the one that really hits home with them. And in a business as it's growing, so you, we know the first three to five years a company goes through many different changes. And sometimes in that organization, they may start off doing one thing and in five years do something completely different. And then you get a level of where you'll have an owner, a founder of an organization who has got it to a level, but can't take it any further. And yeah. And for them to take that, as you said correctly, they need partners. But I'm going to ask you, what would be the, what are the key indicators that you see when you go into doing evaluation on an organization on an organization to go okay we need to step in here and bring it to the next level what are those indicators well the first indicator since i always start with the end in mind is one of the early questions may not be the first one but one of the early ones that give me that indication is what is your exit strategy and invariably what we see is they don't have one they're just looking to survive to the next step as you said perhaps cash is an issue we focus uh, a lot of our time on SaaS type companies. Now we could help any company, but the reason we focus on SaaS companies is once you've built the solution, it's exponentially scalable. And then also a poorly run SaaS company will have a 60, 70% profit margin. We come in, we do the necessary things to lean that out to about 90%. So what we have found is that a properly run company with those types of attributes really don't need capital. A lot of inexperienced founders think if we just had more capital, we would be successful. I've seen early round financing actually hinder the company's growth because they give capital to inexperienced management and they don't know how to deploy it properly. And so to me, a lean startup is, you know, probably the smart way to go because well, you take it in a different direction. A lot of private equity companies don't want to look to invest in companies under 10 million in revenue. And that 10 million, even though with inflation, is still an interesting benchmark because by the time a company can get to 10 million in revenue, they've worked out a lot of those issues that you're talking about. And But what we see is companies that are in the $3 million to $10 million range, they end up getting stuck, not because of capital, 
but because of some operational issue that they simply aren't equipped to handle. And so while they're very good at creating the product and building the teams, what they need to do is partner with the expertise, either hire it, hire fractional, or in our case, with Thrive Advisors, come in with a holistic solution with the end in mind and being able to come in and assess what's holding companies back. Now, what we see most often is, in fact, I was just talking to a prospective client yesterday. He really believed that uh, what he needed was more money to hire more salespeople. And I was explaining to him that you can't cold call your way to success. It actually begins, you know, for him, based on the initial assessment that we did, is he had a underperforming marketing function within his company. And, and that's because he simply didn't have any expertise in that area. And the people that he hired on a piecemeal basis didn't have the expertise either. So we encouraged him to think about that. And then as he created that you know, awareness in the industry and started drawing those enterprise companies to his organization, then we could grow sales. But growing sales first without marketing was his initial focus. It was his initial challenge. And because of that, we said, we really don't need to raise capital for you. And so, you know, what it is, is that the inexperience of a lot of entrepreneurs in terms of scaling their business, if they survive, and many of them do, you know, over 10, 15, 20 years, they, they will learn all those lessons. But the point being is, we know that once you have a company at the $3 million level in revenue and annual recurring revenue, we can scale it very quickly within a few years to a significant exit. I was speaking to someone yesterday who looks after uh, new entrepreneur businesses that are coming out into the world. And they were saying that the caliber of businesses this year wouldn't be as good as what they've saw in the last couple of years. And he felt where some of them in some of the industries a bit saturated. They were also saying to me that companies that were startup 10 years ago, some of them are still calling themselves startups. Um, <laughs> and it was to educate them on an exit strategy. You know, let's look forward and how we can actually sell this business and get you out of it. And it's a different conversation if with a business that's only earning three million or a company that's making ten million. Different conversations for them. Yes. And every company that we speak to, they do have an issue with their marketing and have an issue with their sales. And they know that if they can get those structures right, things can slowly but surely move and grow because that's what is at the end game it's providing a service and people buying it from you here's the three things that i have learned over the years is that the first thing one thing is it's in a business it's confidence having confidence in yourself as as the founder and the, the other one is it's not about marketing and it's not about sales it's about communication and influence and if you go and look at it at a deeper level, everything in there, marketing, sales, whatever, it's that communication. And it's the communication that they lack because of either confidence or knowledge or wisdom that is stopping them in their growth pattern. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I completely agree. That's very insightful. We have a company that we acquired and 
the leadership of that team was challenged with that internal and external communication. And it's because they were first time entrepreneurs and they just lacked that confidence, that wisdom, that experience. And so, you know, oftentimes it is a challenge working with founders that lack that level of experience. That's why PE companies tend to want to work with companies that are further along in their revenue accomplishments because they've figured it out. And our advice to them is, yeah, I was working, I'm a part of a CEO group called Vistage. And one, two of the companies within that organization said, you know, I'm really struggling with the financial aspect of my business. And I said, well, do you have a CFO? And they said, no. And I said, perhaps you're at an earlier stage where maybe a fractional CFO would make sense. And he had never even heard of the concept of a fractional CFO. And so by the next meeting, a month later, they had both hired fractional CFOs. And then they were talking about the next challenge they had. And so, you know, it's really a matter of being able to bring it all together. But, you know, and that's where, you know, the wisdom and experience comes from. And that's why I think that if you recognize you know, if you do a self-assessment of what your strengths are, and so many of these people are so brilliant at being able to develop the solutions and fill that gap within the vertical that they're operating in. You know, my advice to them early on is, as you begin to start the company where you hit that first level of stagnation is do a self-assessment and say, okay, who do I need within my organization? You know, what is it that I don't know? What is it that I'm not experienced at? And bring in the right people, because I think that that's also a key to being able to take the company to the next level. But I think lifelong learning at the at the founder level, at the CEO level is key because things are changing so rapidly with technology and with artificial intelligence that in order to keep up, uh, you know, the founders have to be committed to that humble self-assessment and lifelong learning. Yeah, it's, you know what you know, you know what you don't know, and you know what you don't know, you know? <laughs> and oftentimes so many of them don't know what they don't know. And it's that blind spot that we all have, you know, every organization, because we're we're deep in it in ourselves. And that's where advisory comes in as a key, a key part for a business to grow is because we can see that blind spot. We're coming into 2024 and it, it's going to be a an unusual year because of the technology that is coming, that has started and coming and it's growing. I was chatting to someone on LinkedIn the other day and they were talking about AI and how does everybody feel about it? And and I said, you know, you have to understand that AI is digital and it's only a very small percentage of the analog world that we live in. Correct. And they kind of went, that's, that's quite right because everyone's looking at AI and technology, but it's only just in a window of a screen. And there's all the other functions outside, which is analog, which I think people are forgetting about. What is your own thoughts of AI, the technology? And as we move into 2024, and what sort of year, let me rephrase that, what's the possibilities that are available in 2024 for, for companies? Well, a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, there have been, as, as your viewers probably are well aware of there have been rapid advancements in AI, you know, automation. We're, we're constantly in that 
space, talking to companies, some brilliant founders with uh, IoT, with augmented reality. And the, um, you know, if, if you had fast forwarded from five years ago, you wouldn't recognize the, the landscape today. You know, what, what I think 20, well, it's easier to use a crystal ball for what, you know, what are the trends? How do you integrate it? What is the disruption with these rapid advancements? And, you know, my advice would be, you know, in order to remain competitive, but not just remain competitive, to really truly innovate and disrupt, you know, the continuous training, upskilling of your workforce, preparing them from, you know, to be able to, for roles that complement that technology, you know, to me, I've always invested in lifelong learning and mentorship programs with uh, the staffs that I've led. Uh, you know, going beyond 2024, I think we're going to see something incredible. You know, I, I've been looking at, you know, how do you how do you create a billion dollar startup? Uh, you know, some you know the term unicorn comes to to mind, and you know, decades ago it would probably take about a hundred thousand people to build a billion dollar organization. Now that is a fraction of that. It's just a tiny fraction of that. But I think in the future, you know, from what I've been reading, you're going to see the first billion dollar startup founded by a three person company. And what are those skills, which is what you're talking about? You know, there, there's that visionary CEO that has that concept or founder, but then there's a person who is excellent at communication. I, I don't think you're ever, I don't think AI is ever going to be able to replace that. And then obviously very talented financial person, numbers oriented person. But what we're going to see in the disruption in the years to come with AI is that so many functions are going to be replaced so that you will, you know, I don't know how soon we'll see a three billion, uh, three employee billion dollar startup, but I know it's coming. And, and so because what we see with the technology, I've been in the technology business for decades, and uh, 20 years ago, there was a concern that we would end up replacing call center employees with our communications technology. And it's true, because what it does is it reduces customer effort to do business with our clients, and that's really what consumers want. So, you know, technology has come to that point where you're, it's going to create so many opportunities for people that have committed themselves to that. Now, also, well, there's so many trends that are coming up this year. Data privacy and security are, are huge issues. You know, being able to, you know, one of uh, uh, one of the companies that I own is an IT-oriented company, and we took on a cybersecurity firm as a client. And the day we took them on board, we're just starting to engage with them. The CEO of that company got hacked. <laughs> and so if a cybersecurity firm can fall victim to security issues, it can happen to everyone. And so, you know, being able to implement robust data protection, you know, encryption technologies, you know, doing regular security audits, but also fostering, you know, a culture of training is so essential as we move into this more advanced period of technology. I mean, I could go on and on with, with a dozen items that are really important to focus on in 2024, but those are, those are the couple to start with. You know, 
opportunity really is going to be at the center of 2024 because of new technology coming out. And I always go back to in England, you'll know that the biggest industry at one stage was coal mining. <laughs> and that industry was wiped out. But there's there was more people then in call centers in England than there were that ever worked in coal mines. So you kind of goes, oh, well, the call center is the new coal mine. Yes, it is. And now what's happening is that new technology is coming out and people are fearful and people are worried about their jobs. It was like when we can remember when email came out and the guys from America came over and says, oh, we've got this new thing called email. It's going to you're going to be speaking to us instantly from Europe, you know, to America. It's going to change. And one of the guys went, oh, that will never work, you know, <laughs> and and that was and, you know, you and me could talk about fax machines and people would look at us. What's a fax roll? You know, so what's coming? I think it's going to give more opportunities and we're going to see new organizations, new new companies evolving from what's coming through at the moment. Um. One thing I kind of look at with AI myself is it's not going to be able to really replicate communication to a level of consciousness because our brains can compute and listen to conversations and change and adapt and have tonality, building rapport. And I don't think that is going to be really a forefront because I believe people like talking to people. Like I'm still the type of person that if I'm chatting to a bot, I ask it, are you a bot? And it goes, <laughs> yes. And I go, I don't want to speak to you. I want to speak to a person. And it goes, hold on, I'll get your person. So 2024 will be interesting. I think it's going to bring in a lot. I know there's a lot of disruption in the world, but I also think that companies can't focus on the news because if they focus on the news, they won't get anything done within their company. And I think they need to just put their head down in their organization in 2024 and focus on what they can do because they're not going to solve world problems. They can only solve what's going on in, in their own organizations as well. That's true. The companies that I own or, or work with are dedicated to upskilling their employees. But also uh, one thing that companies are oftentimes challenged with is the attraction and retention of talent, talent that is already accomplished in that understanding of the art of communication. Uh, so being able to attract the right people and retain them is a key driver of success for companies because it just makes the job easier for the company to grow based on upskilling their employees if that mindset is already you know, understood by the employees. So, you know, the other thing is, you know, there hasn't really been anything good about COVID other than maybe the whole transition to remote work or hybrid models, you know, not now that it's gone from one extreme to the other, now it's starting to come back to more of a hybrid model. So, I mean, today, you know, you're in Ireland and I'm in Houston. And while it's the art of communication, it's also the technology that enables us to have these conversations. And... I can tell you that, gosh, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, the idea of having remote employees was a very foreign concept to me. And some companies were better at it than we were, but we were always you know, an in-person type company a decade ago. And now 
none of our employees want to come back to the office. And quite honestly, we don't want them back in the office because they have uh, more flexibility. They have less commute time. Well, they have no commute time. And a portion of that savings and commute time, they turn into working. So they end up being far more productive. I think it's coming in a way it's been institutionalized. In 2019, I've been always working with Zoom. And when COVID kicked in, it was educating all my clients about Zoom. So I didn't have to spend ages trying to tell them about it. But I also find that there's two different energies. One is when you're communicating people through Zoom or through video, there's a different relationship when you meet them in person. And sometimes if you're working with someone for a long period of time, video and you meet them in person, that energy isn't there. I've noticed that. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, and when two people are sitting across from each other, the bodies are making, you know, there's 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 that electrons connecting with each other as well. So there were there are a couple of things that I've noticed. The the other part of it as well, I don't want to jump in a car and drive 35 minutes or get on a plane anymore. Like I used to fly to England every week, you know, up at 4 a.m and get to the red eye at six and get into London and spend a couple of days and then fly back. I don't need to do that anymore. I don't even need to jump in in my car and drive an hour to meet someone for 30 minutes and then waste the rest of my day. So, yes, video and technology is brilliant. It's completely brilliant. It's changed my life, changed my life on it. Well, I think it's added to the quality of everyone's life. And, you know, we have to be disciplined to be able to turn it off from time to time because as an entrepreneur, I'm just tend to be all on all the time, but that's not for, for everyone. And, but it does offer, I noticed that with our employees, it offers them a level of flexibility that if they have to run out to a doctor's appointment with their children, that's just not an issue. There's so many ways to keep in touch and keep the productivity up. And that now you know, rather than having like with children daycare for the children, they're able to, uh, you know, be present. And I think that that's accretive to a better family lifestyle, better motivated and committed employee. I mean, I, I found that in, in all of our companies is that that level of flexibility, that's really what it comes down to is, you know, customers want low customer effort, but employees, they want flexibility. And you combine those two and you get very dedicated employees that help your clients achieve what they need to do. So to me, technology, before we had the ability to do some of this, you know, I always thought that perhaps I should have my mail delivered to my seat the airplane because I was constantly flying <laughs> and I was never home. And I kept looking at oh, all my increased frequent flyer miles or hotel points. And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm like you, Joe. I don't want to drive. I don't want to fly. We can get this thing done remotely. And, you know, like with voicemail, our, you know, the millennials and earlier younger generations, they don't even listen to voicemail. Um, you know, they'll, they'll just call back. And so, you know, that's the other thing is generationally, we're in a generation where we, we've seen these technological changes, we've developed the skills, but our younger employees, while they may not have the well-developed communication skills that you have, what they do have is an incredible adaptation to the emerging technologies to use it productively. It, it reminds me of 
when you got your first video recorder at home and your granddad or your dad would ask you to tune it into the TV because they didn't know how to, but you could just jump on it and, and it's done. You know? So that's, yeah, that's how the new technology or, you know, my, my seven-year-old knows how to swipe, you know, or trying to educate me on, on my phone, but you do this, that. So it's the whole new generation. But I want to just draw something back here, Bill. I want to ask you a question. In your opinion, what makes a great leader or a good leader of an organization? Well, high EQ is a reflection of their empathy, their communication style. I've worked with some great leaders, and they tend to all have high emotional intelligence. And those that don't have quite the same experience or are a bit more controlling or autocratic, they're not, well, I mean, I think this has been true forever. Those that are more engaged, that put the client first, the employees first, you know, it's a basic principle that if you help enough people get what they need, you'll eventually get what you want. And, and so that kind of servant leadership is what we look for in clients or acquisition targets. Many years ago, when I started that transition from the corporate world to the entrepreneurial world, I had the opportunity to play golf with a venture capitalist who was in his eighties. And so I just asked him because I wanted to hear his answer. What, when you invest in a company, what do you look for? You know, and it could be so many different things from market share, financial performance. He said, oh, there's only one thing that I look at. It's the management team. And it's the leadership of that management team. And it's the ability to take, you can drop a, a team like that into a company that is underperforming and they'll turn it around. And it's partly, you know, in terms of leadership skills, gosh, it's, it's, it covers so many areas, but to me, it really comes down to empathy, being able to understand, you know, one might say, oh, well, you know, it's the ability to be a visionary. Visionary without leadership, you won't, you won't have any of your people following you. And, and I've seen it time and again, and I've seen it even more recently. And to be able to mentor that into our clients is a, a prime example of, of one of the most important aspects of any engagement we have. Yeah, I think empathy is a crucial part, you know, I always believe, and I, over the years, I get better at it, or I have got better at it, is, is you know, making a decision, not for me, myself, or I, but making it for all the stakeholders in the organization. And, and on a leader perspective as well, and if employees come to you with a great idea, you know, you quickly evaluate what will happen if this idea works or if it doesn't work, and, you know, what is the, what it will be the decision. And if you give them that decision to go ahead with it, you've given them the confidence to learn. If it goes, you know, completely skew ways and is a disaster, it comes back to you as it was a failure. But if it was a complete success, it's the employee that gets the reward and you just take a well done on them as well. Absolutely. I, you know, to me, if, if my employees aren't making mistakes, they're not trying hard enough or I'm not encouraging that kind of culture enough. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, I try to encourage an ownership mentality in the staff to say, look, 
you know, if you're going to try something new, you're going to make mistakes. And culturally, we want you to be innovative. We want you to take risks and be thoughtful. You know, obviously, we also ask them, it's okay to make a million mistakes, but please try not to make the same advice. Yeah, and, and learn from it. But I think from a culture standpoint, enabling your employees to self-actualize in terms of their creativity, in terms of their engagement, is key to a happy workforce, a productive workforce. I mean, you get to get into that flow level when when they understand that there's someone there watching what they're doing in a positive way and not in a negative way, and the company gets into that flow. Thinking about, you know, issues, what have you got wrong to get right in your, in, you know, what experience could you, could you label? Well, coming up through the ranks of leadership, it's one thing to understand from an aspect of how to do things correctly, but I think it comes back to that leadership. You know, I've made, well, I think most successful people stand on a mountain of mistakes and they've there's just no way to be at that that often and having to make those decisions and to make every right decision. So one, it is commitment to lifelong learning. And with if you're going to lead an organization, you know, in the future, that so-called unicorn that could be built by three people, that's going to be enormously easier than leading 100,000 people. And so technology does enable you to deal with fewer human resource issues, but you've got to get those right. And what I've seen, not only the ability to to attract talent, because basically you're in a sales role of trying to convince somebody to join your organization versus someone else, all the way through to making, to bringing all these diverse personalities together and uh, creating a high functioning team. So I think that I've probably made every mistake along that way learning servant leadership, being humble, being inclusive. That's a huge part, the inclusivity, because people want to feel that they're, they have meaning in their career and that their ideas are considered. So the more that I've done that, the stronger. You know, you can't buy loyalty, but you can earn it. And you earn it through that mutual respect of trying, you know, of people wanting to be part of a great team and you leading all aspects of enabling that team to be great. And so, you know, it's a longer discussion than we probably have time to get into today, but I can tell you that, yeah, that's probably over the decades what I've learned, but yeah, being able to inspire your staff to greatness and giving them the resources to achieve what they want. And every individual within a company is different and being able to put on that hat in front of that person and be able to empathize and understand what they need in order for them to contribute and being able to contribute. So from from that standpoint, yeah, those, those are the mistakes that I made along the way to eventually think that I'm still well on that journey of learning, but that's going to be a lifelong journey. But yeah, today I'm, I'm better at that than I was decades ago. Yeah, I think it's listening is a, is a skill. And I noticed with the multiple conversations we've had in the past that you have that skill and it's it's very important and the other one is that people want to be heard so employees want to be heard and if you show them that you're actually listening to what they're saying 
that in itself can change that whole person's dynamics as they move along and build build loyalty within the company as well. Oh, it's far more important than compensation. I mean, you have to get the compensation right, but no, this is a big part of their lives and they want to feel that, uh, you know, they're learning, they're growing, but they're also able to contribute. And so giving them a voice, we, we came into a company recently where that wasn't existing and it was very dysfunctional operation. And very quickly we were able to turn that around because we were listening. Tell me, what's the best business advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh, I've had... You only pick one. <laughs> I've, had, I've, had, I've had some great bosses. I've had some great mentors. Um, lifelong learning. Well, it's hard to prioritize it. Lifelong learning is essential. But when it comes to being an entrepreneur, start with the end in mind. I mean, it, if you were go to go on a trip and start packing your bags, but you had no destination, it would be, you know, you probably wouldn't get very far. And so many entrepreneurs start a business that they're just good at, as opposed to starting with the end in mind, because that becomes very clarifying, very focusing, creating a sense of urgency. So the best advice I've ever had early on in my career is start with the end in mind. I know you have future is for you to write a book and become an author and but until that day arrives what book would you recommend for someone oh there's so many good ones one that i'm that i've enjoyed is i don't know if you can see this good to great by jim collins mm. and he's also wrote the book you know built to last that is chock full of wisdom but there are so many great books out there it, it, I guess I guess my best advice is be you know when I say about being a lifelong learner is be a voracious leader. I, I have yet to meet a great leader that uh, doesn't spend a significant amount of his time just constantly reading. I'm, you know, one of the best books I've ever read really was Shoe Dog about Nike. Great book and really sort of leveled with me that there was an organization that had employees all over the world and you know had a name and was worrying where they were going to get the money to pay the staff because they had none <laughs> you know the final hour and when i read that i kind of went you know even the greats have those problems sometimes even the greats have that bill if someone wants to reach out to your organization and have a look at some of the great offers or the services that you can provide, where can they find you? They can find me at thriveadvisors.com. And uh, my email address is bill.potter at thriveadvisors.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions at any time. You have a podcast as well coming out? Yes, we've completed. We haven't released our first season yet, but we have. It's in the can. We we. Over, over a few day period, we, we did a full season of podcasts and we're actually uh, first quarter of next year, we're going to be starting season two and I'm honored to be on your podcast and I would love to have you in season two. Excellent. Bill, thanks for coming on to the show. You're listening to Getting It Wrong to Get It Right.